0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Lead Hership Global program. We are so excited to welcome all of you to this week's program, where we have the honor and privilege of speaking with Roxanne Durhage. She is a psychotherapist that specializes in individual couples and family therapy. And today, we are going to dive into a fascinating conversation about how trust, and psychological safety actually impacts the bottom line of business. You know, leaders and employees both have a role and a responsibility related to improving psychological safety. Leaders must do their work to provide support for employees who do their work. And studies show that psychological safety allows for an open exchange of ideas an open exchange of creativity and risk-taking, just the type of behavior that actually leads to market breakthroughs. So it's about creating an environment where it's safe and even encouraged to express diverse ideas, solutions, innovative thoughts without the fear of reprisal. So psychological safety is actually key to high-performing leaders, to high-performing teams, and to organizational success. When we become open-minded, resilient, motivated, and persistent, when we feel safe. In fact, the highest-performing teams have just one thing in common. That's psychological safety, the belief that you won't be punished when you make a mistake. So, bottom line, growing and maintaining psychological safety is not just a good idea. It's actually necessary for great business outcomes. When people feel psychologically safe, they contribute and perform at much higher levels. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with Roxanne Durhage about creating healthy, respectful, and harmonious cultures to attract and retain the next generation of talent in this global economy. But before we dive in, let me tell you just a little bit about Roxanne. She's a registered psychotherapist that specializes in individual couples and family therapy with over 20 years of experience. She's a graduate of the University of Toronto and the University of Guelph, specializing in cognitive behavioral and family systems therapy. As a Black, Indigenous, people of color, a BIPOC leader, Roxanne has written an amazing Amazon best-selling book And she's a professional member of the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers, CAPS, as well as a contributing member to the Forbes Executive Council. Roxanne,
1: I am so excited to welcome you today. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks so much for having me. What a privilege to be spending the time with Leadership Goble. I know I've been involved in uh, a couple of events, which I've been really, has been massive, you know, amazing space to be with other female leaders. So thank you for having me on today.
0: Oh, it is our privilege, Roxanne. Thank you. Now, I tell you what, I'm so excited to dive into this, but I'm also really curious. What is it that led you to have such passion around this subject of psychological
1: safety, especially psychological safety in the workplace? Well, I think what I realized, regardless of whether I was in line with the police responding to victims of crime, or in families, or, you know, whether I was, I sat at many board tables, what I recognized is that the key fundamental was safety or trust. So it doesn't matter as human beings, if you think of your children, Alinda, or my child, when we come into this world, we're looking for that consistency, that safety, you know, I always say like, home base, right? So if you think of adult attachment theory, Ultimately, I would say most of us can come from the ideal, ideal scenario, but we still want to feel it because we know intuitively in our gut what, what that feels like. So I saw that from the beginning of my career, working with the Metro Toronto Police, all the way we're running uh, different clinical centers. And what, regardless if it was the end user coming in to get assistance or the CEO of a company, ultimately, we all want to have that feels uh, internal experience. And that's when I started to shift into um, kind of starting my uh, consulting company. I thought that's the one area that I know I can create a bridge, offer the frontline experience as I've seen and witnessed as a psychotherapist, but also to blend it with the corporate experience I've had working in in health and wellness uh, as an executive.
0: I love that. How do you encourage your clients to embark on a psychologically safe environment? Maybe it's about reframing failure, but maybe there are other steps that teams can take to create a more psychologically safe
1: environment. I think it starts with the leader, right? Ultimately, and I, you know, like to your point, when something goes wrong, yes, ultimately we're running businesses and you have to look at, you know, what's working well, what's not working well. But what I found in, and I've just released my first book, War: Return on Relationships, How Authentic Leaders Build More Resilient Teams. It starts with awareness, which is the overarching concept. As a leader, how well do I know myself? And if I am fundamentally not able to take care of myself psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, and biologically, and I my engine is not an optimal functioning, how is it that I am able to translate those gifts to others around me if i'm depleted my perceptions of things are skewed they're off i'm not able to read the the room as well as when i'm 100% on so i often when i'm working or coaching or speaking about the element of um being able to bring out the best in people i'm talking i'm starting with the leader and saying know thyself where is it what what is it that you know about yourself and what is it what are your blind spots because you know as leaders um, obviously, for most leaders, they have a, a lot of, of strengths, absolutely, but what are the blockages when you're depleted that you are more than likely to trip into, how is it that you keep yourself aware of those and are able to go inside to say, you know, hey, Linda, if you're my senior leader, I'm recognizing that this quarter I'm past the point of depletion, that I need to be able to take some better care of myself that mirroring effect that does powerful things. And we know with neuroscience, that mirroring effect or mirror neurons that we all have within our system calibrates to those around us. So starting with yourself, understand yourself, understand your space allows that space for others to experience the same things around you.
0: Yeah, that's so smart, Roxanne. I really appreciate that perspective. But I would also say that sometimes it's hard to see yourself from an objective, unbiased third party perspective. So in those cases where you might have blind spots as a leader, where you may not recognize how other people experience you and how they experience your leadership, how can you as a leader begin to develop that sense of self-awareness and that sense
1: of recognition
0: of how other people experience you and your leadership?
1: What I do is, um, you know, I've created uh, what I call the AQL, which is basically Authenticity Quotient for Leaders. So they assess themselves, but their teams also assess themselves. And what are the gaps in between? So let's say I'm the type, I can go from thing to thing to thing and not really stop to acknowledge or recognize what rewards I need in myself. So that overarching concept is I kind of, don't stop long enough to think, wow, you know, Linda's the type that she might need the words of, wow, good for you, Linda. You you accomplished X, Y, Z, or you figured out this particular um, project so well. You stretched yourself and I could see how well you did. I'm needing to understand that that might be my blind spot. So in doing this assessment, which is basically the concept of the ROR plus program that I've developed, then leaders are able to look at themselves and say, OK, wow, I recognize I'm, I'm good With recognition, I'm good with awareness, but I'm not so good around staying connected to my perspectives when my decision making gets a little bit skewed when I am kind of, you know, disjointed. So from that overall frame, then the leader is able to say, wow, I think I'm actually very, very good at connection, but 65% of my team is saying, I'm not so good. And I'm not so good really around, say, let's say your year end or your board meeting times or whatever. That's very, very great information to have because to your point, you know, it's hard for us to kind of have those deep, deep conversations with ourselves, with our limitations. But when you look at the assessment, um, what you might recognize, those are the gifts that your team are actually giving you. It's kind of like the same um, with your children. (laughs) I often say when you look at your children... If you have a a young adult, a teenager and a younger one, when you want the real answer, you might start with the adult, but ultimately you're going to get the straight goods from the youngest child because they are not so well-developed cognitively. They're just going to say, hey, mom, or hey, dad, I don't like when you do this, or I recognize that you're abrupt when you're tired. So I think it's that realness of the information that you get. And, And then what am I going to do with it, first of all? as as a leader, and if I'm, you know, kind of put off and recognizing, oh, I don't think it's a deficit, that's where the awareness piece comes in, where I start to say, okay, what is it that needs to change within me to recognize that at times, I am more than likely to slip up around this particular perspective, you know, around recognition, around connection, around communication, around what I call balance processing, which is kind of Um, out there in the research around how is it that I stay grounded regardless of my biases and the potholes that I might hit once in a while when I'm kind of off kilter. Yeah, that's so
0: smart. And I think as leaders, we can challenge ourselves to understand where people are and actually meet them there. We can seek out ways to treat people in ways that are meaningful to them maybe Mm -hmm. different from how we want to be treated, but it's meaningful to them. And we can practice, as you suggested, appreciative responses by recognizing Mm -hmm. the courage that it takes to ask questions or to share concerns and to be vulnerable in that way. How do you encourage that sense of openness, transparency, vulnerability in teams so that they can have very open dialogue?
1: I think it depends on the context and the history of the team and the leadership, right? You're not going to kind of come in and say, by the way, we're just all going to get vulnerable and we're going to share everything. You're going to kind of take a pulse of where you're at, you know, what composition your team is new, what's the demographic. Some people are more, obviously, more extroverted, introverted. You have to get really get a sense of who is on your team, who are you in affinity to, meaning maybe you're more like to. So those people, you know, naturally, oftentimes you have to work less with because they they might get a better understanding because you're in sync with them. But who are the ones that you think, well, I seem to trip up around this person and this person and this person. I think when you get a kind of an aerial shot of your team, um, have there been difficulties? Have there been missed deadlines? Has one quarter been off because of inconsistencies? And and where are you starting from? I think you have to gauge yourself and say, well, you know, the poll says we're doing pretty well, but we're missing certain levels of of creativity and productivity. You look at where am I and where do I want to get? If you have um, things that have developed that haven't gone well, and you maybe haven't resolved them well between your team members, at that point, you're going to say, I have some remedial things that I need to address. And I often say that, you know, I'm not suggesting emotional vomiting all over your team. <laughs> By no means. Most leaders go, no, I can't do that. I'm suggesting that you get transparent enough to say, you know, I realize as a leader, I'm good at this, this and this. But I need a system to get better at this and this. And, you know, I realize that Linda and Jim do very well at this. So I'm going to learn. From them, But I also want the feedback from you, because ultimately, as a team, this is what I see the vision as being. Because I've seen it, and it, you've shone so bright, it's glaring at me. But I realize that at times, um, you know, there's certain things that we bump up against. So what is it that we can do? And if, you know, we're all going to have those days where we get into 65% productivity or presenteeism that's normal and natural of human beings that's normal but what is it that overall we can learn about ourselves and what is it that me as a reflective lens what do you need from me so I can get better so I can optimize all the things that you need individually and collectively to be able to get to that end point so I'm always saying where are you now what are the stumbling blocks what has happened what is the history and who's new (laughs) Who's new and not integrated? Who, do, who doesn't know the cultural norms or are kind of getting their feet wet? And I think once you get that overall 360 perspective, then you're able to kind of interface from saying, I'm coming from a one down position, help me help you grow so that we can get to where we need to together.
0: Yeah, that's really brilliant. And you know, you touched on this idea of team dynamics, team conflict. And I think conflict creates an opportunity for us to understand what's important to people and how to develop win-win solutions for the people as well as the organization that you represent. So how have you restructured, reframed this idea of conflict to create psychological safety and to create a sense of transparency and honesty where people are not reprimanded, they are not in any way penalized for being able to create a healthy
1: sense of conflict? Well, that transparency starts with you yet again as the leader, right? And once you create safety, so if we we think of adult attachment, right? um, We know about attachment developmentally as we grow. If some people on your team are coming from a space where maybe they had an avoidant attachment early on and they're bringing this into adulthood, you know, it's kind of like you're in the sandbox when you were small, right? Um, You have to address who's throwing sand at who, um, you know, who's able to pay together, who's able to kind of connect. And, you know, once you're kind of digging down deeper, you're going to understand the sometimes the diametrically opposed uh, needs of people. And you're going to understand positions because, of course, in our own worlds, each one of us understands our reality. It's such a good frame, and we stick our we stick our feet in, and we're going to come from that position. When you try to, you know, you create the space You say each and every perspective is important. We can be open, and we're gonna we're gonna you know close up this boardroom, and we're gonna get through this um, because we're gonna we're gonna get from what works well with each person individually what doesn't work so well what collectively you know what have we done super super well and when is it that we trip up and what do we need individually from each other and how is it that we're going to leverage from others when we need that help so if you're on that team and you're well gelled you're going to realize that joanne there in the corner is struggling but you know sam over here has a skill that can help joanne And you're going to facilitate those openings so that eventually everybody can shine in whatever way that they need to. So I think when you kind of create that kind of soft landing for a team, they're going to be risking more. They're going to be making mistakes more. And to your point, mistakes are an opportunity. Conflict is an opportunity for people to say, wow, I'm not afraid because I realize all of us make mistakes. well, how was that last mistake dealt with? How did we deconstruct it as a team? How did we kind of look at it for what it was and take the, the strengths with us and looked at the limitations and kind of looked at who helped who with what? Then, what you're doing, that self working function, you know, it's a functionality of the spokes in the wheel, right? Everybody kind of starts to flow together more often and you get more problem solving from them. They'll bring it to you even before it get, becomes critical. And that's ultimately what you want. You want people to be functioning as optimally as possible when you're not even around and for them to be using that, their brain. I mean, to be able to, you know, if you think about if you're at a, a, you know, a team of 10 to 12 people and with diversity, inclusion, you know all that different age stage and everybody gets to that space and we all want to do well, right? So if you get to that space What happens is with time, the conflict dissolves itself because that natural ability to respect at a deep level falls into place. And we're not going to a a polar opposite perspective versus, oh, there we go again. Roxanne's doing X, Y, Z. It's like, I wonder why Roxanne's doing that. Because it's not making sense to me, but I should go ask her and get inquisitive about, you did it this way, Roxanne. And I'm not sure I understand it, but help me understand. And then that's where you get that consistently people growing because they're they're giving people the benefit of the doubt, and then conflict it gets resolved right in front of you. And sometimes there's needs for conflict to be hashed out, but it's done always in a respectful, kind way where nobody's stripped down or anything of that nature. And that's the, that's the piece that the leadership team or the leader needs to always create that bowl or that bucket that says. Regardless of what happens, we'll get through it together collectively and we'll get through it okay and we'll be all okay before we leave this boardroom again.
0: I love that, Roxanne. Thank you so much. Now, you know, we talked at the very top of the podcast about the fact that growing and maintaining psychological safety is not just a good idea, it's necessary for great business outcomes. It really does affect the bottom line. So when people feel psychologically safe, We know that they contribute and perform at higher levels. But tell us a little bit about the impact that you've seen when teams do feel psychologically safe, when they feel like they can be open and transparent with no fear of reprisal.
1: What does that do
0: in terms of business
1: outcomes? We see people coming up with innovative ideas or, you know, you see them coming up with, um, you know, they might see an issue. Like let's say I'm working with a nursing team and they're working at the front line. They come up with such creative solutions potentially that might be able to look back to say IT or security or to the physicians' assistants or the physicians. So I think what happens is that people, because you know, I always say we all want to be seen, we all want to do a good job. And when we're in that space, we're not thinking that we cannot have the conversation with the physician, if I'm a nurse, or a nurse practitioner on shift with that uh, particular physician, or, you know, nurse manager, or whatever. So what I found through the years is that um, possibilities are immense, people come forward with solutions, you know, they come and they, you know, when things are, you know, not going well, you know, they're the ones that are working the extra time, because they have more time. So they recognize that so and so's, Uh, maybe a single parent with a sick child. So they're saying, you know what, I'll be able to take that over. I'll take on that project because I recognize maybe somebody's dealing with uh, maybe elderly parents and a sick child or whatever. So you see the collaboration that starts to happen with people because it's not just about I then, it's truly about we. And when we get people working from that space, I'm feeling good, I'm feeling safe, I'm feeling secure, I feel valuable and I feel seen and heard what they then do is they start to be able to go forward and they just keep excelling to be the best versions of themselves. And think of that collectively. If you have units or business, you know, different parts of your businesses doing that, it's that well-oiled wheel, right? And even if it starts to kind of not calibrate, eventually other parts of the wheel start to kind of say, well, this isn't working well. What's happening over here? And how is it that we can help? in some way. So I've I've seen it over and over again with the companies that I've worked with. It takes time though, without a doubt. But when you get into those areas of what I ultimately say heart coherence, where people are resonating with each other, working with each other, then they eventually they start to work collegially together. And we know again with connection, um, safety, we align our bodies align, our hearts align. And then uh, people work together that much more seamlessly.
0: Yeah. So really what you're speaking about is providing a safe and supportive environment for all people to be able to do their best and highest work. And I think we can ask what resources information they need to perform their best as leaders. And as best we can, we can make sure that people have access to the resources and the tools that they need in order to do their very best and highest work, to perform at their highest level, which I think most people really aspire to, which is so smart. Mm. So we're wrapping up our podcast. And before I get to the very last question, I want to just ask if you have a group of people that you're working with, and as you said, much of the tenets of psychological safety are created through the leadership of that team or that organization, Much of the tenants, the principles, the practices of psychological safety flow from the leader. So what are the top three recommendations that you would make to a leader to help them down the path of creating a psychologically safe environment so that their employees, their teammates can do their best and highest work?
1: Well, I think... Take a pulse of from a macro all the way to a micro to the frontwood facing customer. Get your information in whatever way you do to understand what's really, how are you being perceived as a company. You know, is it that you're doing really well with your middle managers, but you're not so well with your senior managers, or your front line is really good, but you know that there's a gap. Where are your gaps in people feeling safe? If people are don't feel comfortable coming forward at some point, or even to you with mistakes. That's showing you that there's some work. So ask the questions. Get there to the different parts of your business and go out and ask questions so that people don't feel like they have to use CEO language (laughs) in order to speak to you. Try to figure out what's really going on by just kind of blending into the woodwork. And lastly, I would say, check with yourself and say, how aware am I um, when I'm on? And how is it that when I'm off, How is it that if I do make a mistake or if I'm abrupt or, you know, I'm not able to get the time because I'm in a million kind of places, I've got board meetings or whatever. How is it that I rectify that if I do make a mistake? And think about the last time you did make a mistake. What is it that you did so that people recognize that you knew that you were kind of off kilter that day? So those are some of the things that I think leaders can do right now to start off, to get a pulse of where they're at and how the impact is on their teams and then ultimately their company.
0: Wonderful advice and guidance, Roxanne. Thank you so much, which leads me to my final question, which is all about leadership advice. As you know, we are leadership global, and we love asking our guests about the leadership advice that they've received, that they would like to share with our audience. So what is the most impactful leadership advice you've received? That's made a really transformative change in your leadership that you'd like to share with others.
1: I go to congruence, be congruent with yourself. What is your story? And, you know, I think of myself, my stories, I'm a little girl from Trinidad Tobago that grew up very connected in a small village. And that's the space that I try to really always frame when I go out and I lead. So I would say, what is your leadership story? How are you living in integrity to that space? And if there's things that you need to address, uh, be aware and take that time so you can create, if there's incongruence, make it congruent with your values, beliefs, and the way you lead in the world.
0: What great leadership advice, Roxanne. Thank you so much. And thanks to everyone who tuned in this week to lead Hership Global. We're so glad you joined our program this week. And for all of you, this is Roxanne Hodge, psychotherapist who specializes in individual couples and family therapy, talking about how trust and psychological safety actually impacts the bottom line of businesses. Roxanne, thank you so much for your time. We are so grateful that you so generously shared your expertise and your experience with the audience of Leadership Global.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Linda. Thank
0: you for joining Leadership Global's award-winning podcast. As a member of Leadership Global, you have the opportunity to meet inspirational leaders, create lifelong friendships, and be surrounded by others who are invested in your success. Join our global community of inspiring women in leadership, women who will help you create greater levels of impact, support your personal and professional breakthroughs, and help you accelerate your success. Don't miss out on the opportunity to show up, speak up and step up in your professional and your personal life. Find out how you can join us at leadhershipglobal.com.